Welcome to a special edition of Gospel Truth with Andrew Womack. Today, in remembrance of the 1973 Roe v. Wade decision, Andrew is joined by abortion survivor, Melissa Oden. How could I stay quiet when I know that 3,000 children in our country alone are gonna lose their lives to abortion today? Without the right to life, there is no other right. And now, here's Andrew. Hello and welcome to our Monday's broadcast of the Gospel Truth. Today is going to be a very special broadcast. Uh, matter of fact, all of this week we're doing some special programming because this is, I think, the 47th anniversary of the Roe versus Wade decision. And uh, for, I don't know, many years now we've been doing things just to keep this in people's remembrance and let them know that this issue has not gone away. And uh, there's some really great positive things that are happening. And I think that this is going to be an encouraging week to you as we interview some people and talk about things. And today I have back with me Melissa Oden. And uh, thank you, Melissa, for being with us. You were with me, I think, in 2016 is when we aired Mm -hmm. the programs. So it's been, what's that, four years ago? Believe it or not, four years (sighs) And uh, Melissa has the distinction of surviving an abortion, which is uh, amazing. I'm surprised. I was talking to you earlier, Mm -hmm. and there's over 300. You have an abortion survivors network now, and there was over 300 people that have uh, survived abortions. I do. You know, it's interesting. I think especially after this last year of things legislatively, politically, things happening in the United States in particular, we keep hearing things like this never happens, children don't survive abortions, you know, we don't need certain laws like born alive legislation. And I'm here to say yeah. this does happen. This happens more frequently than what people could ever imagine. And, you know, most survivors never share their story publicly, Andrew, and for many good reasons, right? It's a difficult thing to be persecuted in our culture that has lived with us now for 47 years. Why would somebody persecute you for surviving? (laughs) (laughs) Well, that begs the question, why would we be doing this in the first place, right? right, Of targeting the most vulnerable people in the womb. Uh, But most survivors, you know, are very private with their stories. It's usually a family secret. Yeah. Some survivors don't even know their story for a very long time. So I found out at the age of 14, which is fairly common for people to kind of find out in those years. But I'm encountering survivors who, you know, find out when their grandparent or their parent is passing away and they finally break this great secret and say, hey, there's something I need to tell you. You know, there are people, there are people who have had abortions because themselves. Because, of course, you wouldn't remember it. Right. You would have absolutely no idea. Well, you know what? You, I, I see you on the news <laughs> all of the time, and you're testifying in front of Congress. You've been on nearly every uh, talk show or news program, and so we could give you a long introduction. But we will talk about some of those things later, maybe even tomorrow. But we need to let people know your story. Uh, because many of them probably haven't heard it, and it is a dramatic story. So tell us, how what happened to you? How, how did you survive an abortion? By the grace of God, you know, truly, that's the short version of the story. There is no medical reason why anybody like me exists in this world, and I am so okay with that. I'm grateful the Lord spared my Makes life. Makes you feel special, doesn't it? I mean, God went to some extreme things to... 
Absolutely. Yes, well, and God put people in place who said yes. Amen. Right? Yes, Lord, we're going to fight for her. Yes, Lord, we're going to love her. Yes, Lord, we're going to pray for her. But, you know, 42 years ago, my story could have been much like all of those statistics when it comes to abortion, just another life lost. My birth mother was 19 years old. She was a college student. She wasn't married yet to my biological father. They were actually engaged to be married, but they weren't married yet. And, you know, we still see those kind of statistics today. 19 years old college students heavily targeted or pressured for abortion. And she was pressured. She was literally forced to have the saline infusion abortion that was meant to end my life. That type of procedure isn't performed routinely anymore, quite simply because too many of us lived. Yeah. So you say she was forced. How was she forced? In her circumstances, her mother, my maternal grandmother, was a nurse, you know, knew an awful lot about the scientific and the biblical basis for when life begins, but also knew how to bypass hospital regulations and procedures at the time. My birth mother should have gone before a therapeutic committee um, to talk about why she needed a, what ended up being a late-term abortion. They didn't know how late-term this really was going to be. But she should have had to go before a committee. Uh, but she didn't want to have the abortion. They made sure that that was the only choice that was available to her. Had her placed in the hospital. That type of procedure that I was subjected to involved injecting a toxic salt solution into the amniotic fluid surrounding me in the womb. And the intent of that toxic salt solution was to poison and scald me to death. So usually the procedure lasted about 72 hours. The child would soak in that toxic salt solution. It would turn the skin bright red, peeling the skin away, moving internally Just into burn, the organs. Burn the baby to death. Burn the baby to death. Now, am I correct in thinking, you know Carrie Fisher. Mm -hmm. She was on our program a few years back. Wasn't that a saline solution? Carrie doesn't know what type of procedure her biological mother had. But it had. caused a lot of uh, handicap and effects on her. And how, how did you escape with her? any of all of it. Again, by the grace of God, right? I actually soaked in that toxic salt solution for a five-day period. Usually it only lasted about three. They could not successfully induce my birth mother's labor. You know, I can only gather I'm a little stubborn, right? I was just... <laughs> Even I, from birth, huh? Absolutely. The Lord gave uh, me the spirit, Andrew. <laughs> that's awesome. But, um, you know... And the, so once you're injected with this solution, it causes... Uh, the birth mother just to go ahead and abort the baby. Right. So the child soaks in that toxic salt solution. Their life is effectively ended most of the time. And then they would induce labor, believing that a deceased child would be expelled from the womb. So that's what they expected on the fifth day of my birth mother's abortion procedure. But, you know, that day in August of 1977, here I was accidentally born alive. Wow. And it's a miracle. This is a blessing. But I think we all have to also acknowledge that we live in a culture that doesn't necessarily see it the same way you and I do. We live and in a culture. This was your this was your grandmother. It was. That was performing this abortion. Yeah, she played a huge part in it. We don't know if she was you know, the only practitioner that was involved in that. Um, the abortionist certainly signed off on everything. Uh, my grandmother, you know, obviously uh, knew her way around the hospital. And um, so she was a nurse. She was. She was. Oversaw. Had she helped other abortions? Yes. 
And I, you know, I'm always very curious. I've always wondered how many children just like me she encountered. You know, I wonder if I was the first born alive infant after an abortion she encountered. I suspect I wasn't because I know how often this happens. So happened. this was your grandmother who saw you born alive. What did she do with you? Demanded that they leave me to die. A lot of these pieces have not come forward in my life until recent years. I was told years ago that it was my birth mother's choice to have the abortion. And then, you know, I started to suspect she was coerced. And then the more I started to know about her and heard her story, you know, learned that it was forced and then learned that it was actually my grandmother. My adoptive parents had been told years ago that it was the abortionist who wanted me to be left to die. But it was my birth mother's family who actually admitted that it was my grandmother. Well, it must have been hard on all of them. Yeah, it's, I think that's one of those circumstances that strikes at people's heart, no matter what they believe about abortion, because, you know, I was her firstborn grandchild. And we know what that means, right? To see our grandchild or our child or that, that vulnerable baby, and we're thinking, why wouldn't we just embrace them? But this is what 47 years of legalized abortion have done to our society. You know, our society is saying it's not a person, it's not real, it's part of the woman's body, which all of those things are scientifically <laughs> right. un incorrect. They don't ever let the facts get in the way of their narrative. Mm -hmm. But when you see the baby born alive, and, and how far along in gestation was this? The abortionist had written on my medical records, he estimated her to be 18 to 20 weeks pregnant. But the fact that I weighed almost three pounds led them to believe she was probably more like 31 weeks. Wow. 31 weeks. Never had What's had- that, seven months? Almost eight, yeah. Never had, of course, prenatal care, never had a real exam by the abortionist. And, you know, these are all circumstances that are not unique to me. We have to face the fact as a culture that the abortion industry, you know, isn't looking out for the best interests, of course, of children like me, but they're also not looking out for the best interests of women like my biological mother. Mm. And so your grandmother, what did she do? She wanted you to be just left to die. What did they do with you? My medical records are kind of interesting. So my medical records actually detail the fact that I did survive this abortion. Uh, there are not many survivors who have medical records because they don't want to document stories like mine, right? We're a bit of an inconvenient uh, detail. <laughs> you know, let me insert this too, that when we say that there's been 60 million abortions since Roe versus Wade, uh, California, New York, some of those states aren't even required to report Abortion. So 60 million is a very conservative figure. It's a lot more than that. It is. And considering how large those states are and how... They're the big, big abortionists. Absolutely. Yeah. So I think the number would be staggering if we actually understood it. But so my medical records do detail the abortion that I survived. And in them, we can tell that, you know, I was, quote unquote, laid aside. That's the words that my parents were told years ago. Uh, when I first survived that abortion, I was not in the best shape. My APGAR score was, I think, a six, which is not great for any baby, but for somebody like me, it wasn't bad. Can I explain what that means? The APGAR score um, looks at things like respiratory rate, um, you know, the child's uh, color of skin, all of these things to tell us how good of health that child is in. 10 is, 10 is good, zero is, you know, 
pretty much near death. I was a six when I was first born or delivered. And uh, within five minutes, I was like a one. And so we can only surmise that in that period of time, there was this internal discussion and argument about whether I would be provided medical care. My mom and dad had been told that there were a couple of nurses who intervened for me. Now, let me just uh, break in and say your mom and dad, you're talking about your adoptive yeah. parents. We'll get to the rest of this story, but yeah. not your biological parents, right. but your so adoptive parents. Right, so my adoptive parents had been told that there were at least two nurses who fought for me. and. Uh, it was just about two years ago now that a nurse contacted me directly after my book came out. Um, she had read it and said, you know, I've been following you for years on social media, and I always wondered if you were the baby that I remembered from St. Luke's Hospital. And she said, after reading your book, I know that it's you. She wasn't in the room that day when I was delivered alive, but she was working in the neonatal intensive care unit that day. And she said she would never forget that moment when a tall blonde nurse rushed me in, the door came flying open, and the nurse made it clear she was unwilling to just leave me there to die. So where did they find you? The, I was in a room somewhere at the hospital. They just set you aside waiting on you to die. We can only guess at that. That's murder. We live that in a country a that says murder. that somehow that this is just a decision that people can make, right? Governor Northam's comments earlier this year in Virginia, well, we're just going to lay them aside. Do those words sound familiar to mm. you? We're going to lay them aside, make them comfortable, and you know, allow the doctor and the mother to have a conversation about what happens. That's terrible. That is terrible. That's hard to believe. It hurts. And not for me. It hurts for me knowing, <laughs> knowing that hundreds and thousands of children probably would be living today, Andrew. Yeah. If only they had been provided medical care. It's one thing to fight for your life in the womb. You know, that's, that's horrific enough. But then to have to fight again after we're accidentally born alive. This isn't how it should go. Man, it's hard to unwrap all of the things that have happened to you. And uh, <laughs> we'll talk about this later. You have been reunited with your birth mother. But how about your maternal grandmother, the one who performed this and was willing to let you die? Have you ever connected with her? I never did. So she's deceased now. Uh, I did have some communication with her and my maternal grandfather uh, back in 2007. I didn't know back then that they played the role that they did in the abortion taking place. And I sent them a letter really just asking for them to pass along messages to my birth mother. You know, I can only hope that she was told that I sent them that letter. And I hope that she's in heaven. I hope that she knows that that I don't have any animosity towards any of them. You know, I, I don't That's hate them. That's amazing, Melissa, that you don't have any hatred for these people that tried to kill you. I think they were probably a greater victim than I was because something had to have happened in their lives that, that led them to that point, you know, to, to make those decisions about my life and, and then keep it a secret. I didn't know years ago that, that they kept my survival a secret. I now know that my birth mother spent well over 30 years of her life believing that I had died that day. Really? Her family knew I was placed for adoption without her knowledge and consent. It's like something out of a movie, right? 
But they so knew. your birth mother thought that the abortion was successful mm-hmm. and lived for 30 years thinking that she had aborted her child. With incredible regret. So much hurt. You know, this is something else that it'd be good if you could address because so many people think it's just a simple procedure and you'll never know. And yet, you know, we've started three pregnancy centers in this area and, and I've done a lot of stuff. We have a what they call PACE, post-abortion counseling education. And I mean, it is typical that women that go through an abortion live with tremendous guilt Absolutely. and regret. Yeah, well, and it's so interesting because we live in a society that will talk a little bit about, you know, how miscarriage impacts women, right? How we we will always grieve our child, but yet somehow when it's an abortion, they want to pretend like that experience is different. It's not in my experience. I can count on one hand how many times a woman has said it didn't affect them. I can't ever begin to count how many women have said their lives were never the same. And so I thank you for helping make that counseling a priority. I truly believe that's probably our greatest obstacle in creating a culture of life is that we have to heal. We have to acknowledge it. We have to talk about it. We have to confront that secret in our families. And you know, I've, I've met a number of women who've been uh, survived an abortion now. Carrie Fisher was one of them. And we had you on the program with Carrie, I think four or five years ago. And I asked Carrie, I said, so do you have anything to say to women who've aborted their children? And I was shocked at her response, but she just said, speaking for all the aborted children, we forgive you. Absolutely. And I hear that same thing from you. It is, no matter where I am, you know, I want people to know that they're loved, that they're forgiven, that there is hope to be found no matter how much they're suffering. There is hope, there is so much healing. And that's why these ministries exist throughout our country and around the world is for people to to walk through that. And I know it's hard, I know that it's painful. I hear the stories, I see people's pain, uh, but there is hope on the other side of it. So you survived the abortion. This nurse came and rescued you. How long did it take? Uh, did you have any physical problems or what was going on? Yeah, I did initially. Uh, people would never know that by looking at me today. When I first survived that abortion, the prognosis for my life was very poor. I suffered from severe respiratory and liver problems. I suffered from seizures. The doctors thought I had a fatal heart defect initially because of the amount of distress my body was under. Uh, But I had people praying over me. You know, the one nurse who contacted me was able to share that, how they started praying for me that day. And they'd watch me every single day and just marvel with how strong I continued to grow, how my body was healing itself. You know, the nurse said they were so in awe of how compared to other babies in the NICU, I made strides so quickly. God had a purpose in you. He did. You need to advertise this book real quickly because oh, yeah. last time you were with me, you didn't have this book. It is. Well, and and there's more to come, right? God's still writing the story. And I love that. But uh, my book is You Carried Me, A Daughter's Memoir came out in 2017. It's actually going to be re-released in January of 2020 in a paperback form, in audiobook form. And my birth mother helped contribute some additional uh, information for it this time. I mean, really, she helped me a lot. I had it before the publisher even back then. And she looked at it and added more content, put together pieces of the puzzle that even I didn't know. And I love that 
that God allowed this to be our story together. Well, that is a miracle that you and your birth mother have been reunited. So anyway, how long did you stay in the hospital? How long did it take you before you could leave? A couple of months. So I survived the end of August of 1977, went home to my family that October. And, you know, I know that it was the love of my mom and dad, their faith, their belief. And how did they find you? How did this happen that you were adopted by them? So my parents were foster parents over the years and struggled with infertility for 15 years, adopted my older sister from another family, were on the waiting list to adopt another child and, you know, had made it clear that they were willing to adopt any child, including special needs. And so, you know, really that's how I was labeled by social services back then. And so I don't know how many families they went through before they found my mom and dad, but I know they first met me when I was still lying in an incubator full of tubes and wires fighting for my life. So I guess you were turned over to social services. I was. And so they, that's how they came to meet mm-hmm. you. And my parents would tell you, Andrew, that the moment they laid eyes on me, they fell in love with me. And I fight for that in our world because every child deserves that opportunity to have someone but fall in love with them. But your maternal grandmother delivered you and didn't have that same reaction. That's... That's, you know, that's hard to understand. I, I have to believe that that is just demonic. Mm-hmm. It is demonic. People have so many problems that they, because that would be the normal response, I would think, of anybody mm-hmm. to see a child. And to think you'd just let that die is, is hard-hearted. And I can only imagine how difficult her life was after that day. You know? Well, and it might have been very difficult before that day, too. Absolutely. She had to be pretty hardened. Mm-hmm. Been coming for a long time. But I think we also have to acknowledge that so many medical professionals in particular go through this similar experience. You know, they're placed in that position. They're told that they need to perform abortions. Um, Yes, we have wonderful medical professionals who fight against that and say, no, not on my watch. I won't be a part of that. But so many of them see things, do things, are told they have to. And, you know, I would love for medical professionals to know that, that there is healing to be found for them to just like abortion clinic workers, right? But man, how hard-hearted do you have to be? Like uh, you would know the details of this. I don't pay a lot of attention, but there was a doctor, an abortionist who died recently and at his home they found how many thousands of babies, I think bodies? 2300. And and he was saving their bodies in what? Cardboard boxes, shoe boxes. And then they found more in a car trunk later, like 50 more bodies. What kind of person do you have to be to do something like that? That's terrible. I tell you, I pray that you are recognizing that abortion is not just about a woman's body. There's uh, scientific uh, information that shows that at the moment of conception, that baby has a separate DNA, often different blood types, on and on it goes. It is an individual from conception. That's what the Bible teaches. And it is murder. I don't care at what stage abortion comes, but especially late term. They're beginning to actually now promote late term abortion and delivering alive and just allow the child to die. This is hard hearted. It's demonic. And praise God, we are bringing these programs to you just to put a face to it. Melissa was aborted and yet survived. And she was a person from the moment of conception. And I pray that if any of you are still non-committed 
to preserving life, that this will put a face on it and that, praise God, it'll make a difference. She's going to be back with us again tomorrow. So I encourage you to listen in as we continue our interview with Melissa Oden. Can a landmark ruling the Supreme Court today legalized abortions? The majority in cases from Texas and Georgia said that the decision to end a pregnancy during the first three months belongs to the woman and her doctor, not the government. Children are heritage from the Lord. He knit me together in my mother's womb. Before he formed me, he knew me. Before I was born, he sanctified me. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed back with the something unalienable rights. That in these life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Remember, it's my choice. It's our choice. It's a baby choice. It's God's choice. Not yours. Choose life. Amen. That's the baby? Wow. So that's really all going on right now. Yeah. It, it looks like an actual baby. Uh-huh. Today's interview is available on a special Choose Life USB flash drive. Also included on this flash drive, you'll find several more interviews and testimonies relating to abortion. This Choose Life USB flash drive will be accompanied by the Observing All Things booklet that contains many statistics and scriptures with regard to abortion and other social issues. You can get these valuable resources today for a gift of any amount. Also, Andrew would like to offer you the Observing All Things booklet absolutely free. Go to awmi.net to receive this free offer today. This special offer is limited to one free booklet per household. You can become a Grace Partner or order resources through our website at awmi.net. To write us, use the address on your screen. We appreciate your generosity and hope to hear from you today. We'd like to point out Andrew's upcoming speaking schedule. Mark your calendars to come meet Andrew at one of these events and let the Word of God transform your life. In the month of January, Andrew will be speaking in Sherman, Texas and in Durant, Oklahoma. Then in February, Andrew will be speaking in Port St. Lucie, Florida. Next, he'll be in Orlando, Florida for a Gospel Truth Conference with guest speaker Greg Fritz. And in March, Andrew will be in Woodland Park, Colorado for the annual Karis Bible College Men's Advance. NFL Hall of Fame and Super Bowl winning coach Tony Dungy will be a guest speaker at this event, along with James Brown, Emmy Award-winning broadcaster on the CBS and NFL networks. Also in March, Andrew will be back in Woodland Park hosting the Army Conference for Ministers. Guest speakers at this event will be Pastor Dwayne Sheriff, Billy Epperhart, and Dr. Barry Burns. For more details on Andrew's next meeting in your area, visit our website at awmi.net. For over 25 years, Andrew Womack has been involved with and supported our Colorado Springs Pregnancy Center and has seen the lives of many thousands of babies spared. Presently in outreach of Life Network, the Pregnancy Center offers several valuable services, 
ranging from free pregnancy tests to personal counseling, classes covering pregnancy to infant care, and supplies spanning from maternity wear to diapers and baby clothing. They also offer post-abortion counseling, which ministers to women who have already experienced the heartache of abortion. Andrew has since retired from the Board of Directors, but continues to support the Colorado Springs Pregnancy Centers. If you'd like more information, please visit elifenetwork.com or cspregnancycenter.com.